Good morning, everyone. <clears throat> Hope you are having a good Feast of Pentecost. An exciting time to be once again keeping the holy days as they go through the year. Uh, of course, Pentecost is the second season of the holy days, the first being Passover and unleavened bread, which we kept uh, not long ago. Later in the fall, we'll keep the Feast of Trumpets and the Day of Atonement, the Feast of Tabernacles, and the Last Great Day. But this day, the Feast of Pentecost, is very significant for us because we think about God's plan of salvation for all mankind, and in particular, the role that the church has to play in that, and the role that all of us have to play. One of the things that we learn when we are studying about this day is that God empowered his church with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on this day. Let's turn over to Acts chapter 1 and verse 4 to begin. Acts chapter 1, it's not hard to predict where we go on this day. Um, the day of Pentecost, the incredible things that happened, uh, 31 A.D., so many years ago, but are still significant for us, inspire us today, and of course represent something that, that happened back then, a miracle, and it continues to happen. Acts chapter 1 and verse 4. It says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So they were going to receive power, something that would enable them to accomplish their mission of getting the gospel message all over the world. How were they going to do these things? Let's turn over to Acts chapter 2. How would this happen? How would they accomplish it? Acts chapter 2 and verse 1, we, we find a little bit, a little summary of how this happened. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. So an, an incredible miracle uh, the day of Pentecost, when observant Jews from all over the Roman world were in Jerusalem, and God's Spirit was, was poured out in a way that was very obvious to everyone. And Peter stood up and began to explain what was happening. He gave a sermon. He talked about the prophecy of Joel. And then finally, he challenged the audience 
And he said, you are the ones who killed the Savior, the Messiah. And they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? And he talked about the requirements to receive the Holy Spirit and receive and have, and repentance and baptism. But brethren, who was he talking to and where was he saying it? What had just happened just a month and a half before in the same city? The Messiah had, be, had been taken, had been arrested, had been beaten, had been interrogated, and finally executed for the same message that now Peter was preaching. What was the difference? Remember the story how Peter and all the apostles, all the disciples, the first time around they fled, they were frightened, they were scared. They were confused. They were fearful. But this time, same place, only a month and a half later, suddenly they were filled with power. What was the difference? Well, we know it was the Holy Spirit. Notice <clears throat> notice over in Acts chapter 4, we're just going to uh, touch on this briefly. Uh, Acts chapter 4. Inevitably, the fat hit the fan, and the message that they were continuing, they, they, they continued right where Christ had left off, and uh, it got them into trouble. Notice in Acts chapter 4 and verse 1. Now, as they spoke to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus, the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. And it came to pass on the next day that the rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, remember who was the high priest that interrogated Jesus Christ and accused Jesus Christ of blasphemy, the same one that they were now facing. What was going through their mind? Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, as many of others of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. When they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers, of the people and elders of Israel. If we this day are judged for the good deed done to a helpless man, they had healed someone, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. They were bold. You know, there was no guarantee of anything. There was no guarantee that they would not end the same way Jesus ended. Think about it. What was going through their mind? He had been killed for saying these things. 
they were bold. As we think about, and the whole book of Acts is filled with the the things that the apostles did under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Brethren, you think about they had tremendous courage. They did. But you know, there's something else they had as you read the story and you think about what Peter just said. There was a tremendous sense of inner strength as well. Don't you think? A tremendous sense of fortitude and inner peace that they had, that Peter had, in order to be able to say some very difficult things. It wasn't just courage. But you get the feeling that the apostles had a profound sense of peace. As we are gathered and as we are keeping the day of Pentecost, we think about the Holy Spirit. We think about what it does and the power that it gives us. But you know what? It also gives us tremendous peace. Let's turn over to John chapter 14 and verse 15. John chapter 14 and verse 15. What did Christ say about the promise that he was going to send? What does Christ say about the promise that we can have and the power that we can have as we accomplish God's will in our life, as we go through our journey, as we battle the the giants that we face, but also the inner peace that makes it possible, the spirit of power and peace, the spirit of power and peace. And peace. John chapter 14 and verse 15, we read, Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and shall be in you. The promise of the Holy Spirit coming, the helper, the advocate, the comforter, I think the, the King James says, not just to give courage, but to give comfort and to give peace and to give calm and tranquility (laughs) inside, even in very difficult situations. Verse 25, these things I've spoken to you while being present with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. It's interesting, the context that he talked about his peace was in sending the helper, sending the the comforter, sending the Holy Spirit. If you'd like a title for the sermon today, it's the Spirit of Power and peace, the spirit of power and peace. You know, at first glance, those two things seem to be on opposite poles. How can the same spirit that gives us power, it comes from the word, the the word power it used there, describing the spirit several times, comes from the word dunamis, the Greek word. We get dynamite from that, an explosive power. You know, the power that God uses to ignite the stars and to 
keep the planets in motion and to split an atom if he wanted to. Incredible power. Uh, to call down fire from heaven, uh, to move mountains, to, to smash, uh, you know, whatever objects he wanted to, to multiply food for thousands, as we heard, to move the sun 15 degrees or the earth 15 degrees or whatever it was. You know, I had a physics teacher in high school who said, that, was, that shows the Bible is impossible. Remember the story about where or Joshua's long day, I, that was one of them, and Hezekiah and the, the sun moving back. He said if, if the sun really moved back or the earth moved back, we all would go flying off the surface of the earth. So that proves the earth, the Bible is, is uh, not true. Well, that shows the power of God's Spirit, that he can do things which even defy physics, and our physics teachers can't understand. But it's also that same power can give us inner fortitude and a quiet calm and a profound peace to calm our hearts in the midst of a storm. These seem like two opposite extremes, but they're the the parts of the same thing. You know, some of our brethren who have gone through tornadoes and describe the the circumstance and, and the situation they were in where they were in their house and it's like a freight train run, ran over their house and smashed through it. And yet they had peace and calm and fortitude. He showed him his power. When Elijah was running from Jezebel, running for his life, fearful, afraid, remember he... He then ran into the wilderness, and God was encouraging him and trying to show him his power. And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake of fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. God sometimes uses his power to command the wind and the earthquake and the fire. But sometimes he doesn't use that overwhelming power. Sometimes it's the inner strength that gives us calm even in the eye of the storm. There are two sides to the same power. That's the amazing thing about the Holy Spirit. It's God's spirit. It's God's mind. He has the power of the universe at his disposal. He can smash atoms. He can blow up planets if he wants to. But he also has ultimate tranquility of mind. Isn't that true? Do, you, do we see God as kind of stressed out? And, and uh, you know, just zapped on caffeine all the time and, and kind of torqued by issues that come up and, and just walking the floor night and day. Of course not. His mind is one of tranquility and peace, isn't it? Psalm chapter 29, verse 10 says, The Lord sat enthroned at the flood, and the Lord sits as king forever. 
The Lord will give strength to his people, and the Lord will bless his people with peace. Those two things at first seem to be contrary on opposite poles, but actually they go together. Strength and power, but also inner peace. Psalm 18.31, For who is God except the Lord, and who is a rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. Inner peace, sound mind. Let's turn to one uh, Psalm chapter 31 and verse 23. Psalm chapter 31, verse 23. I faked some of you out there. I gave you the scripture and then didn't give you enough time to turn there. So let's go ahead and turn this one. Psalm chapter 31 and verse 23. He says, Oh, love the Lord, all you his saints. For the Lord preserves the faithful and fully repays the proud person. Be of good courage, and he will strengthen your heart, or the inner man, or the mind, all you who hope in the Lord. Are we experiencing the power and the peace of the Holy Spirit as we come to this day of Pentecost, as we observe another holy day, when this is one of the the tremendous themes of this day. Let's turn over to Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14, we find a an example of so many of the inspiring uh, events that happened in the book of Acts. In the early church, again, tremendous courage, but also, you think about it, a deep sense of tranquility as well and strength and fortitude that these men and women had to have to do these things. Acts chapter 14 and verse verse 11, here is one of the stories of Paul and Barnabas teaching. They had just healed a man crippled from birth. Acts chapter 14 and verse 11, Now when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices, saying in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in front of their city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. This was getting a little out of hand. <laughs> this was not what Paul had intended you know, at all. So, of course, they heard this, and they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you, and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, and the sea, and all things that are in them, who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness in that he did good, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. Interesting. What a bizarre uh, situation they got themselves into. Verse 19, though, notice. Then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul. 
and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. You know, talk about a reversal of, of, of uh, fortunes there. First, they're, they're trying to, to, uh, <clears throat> trying to sacrifice to them. And now the fickle crowd turns and they stone them. And Paul was apparently dead or pretty unconscious, you know. But, you know, whether he was dead or just really, really unconscious and mostly dead, um, it probably felt the same, you know, when when the rocks came at his head and, and bounced off his body. Incredible things that happened to them. But notice in verse 20. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up. He got up. The disciples came around him. And he stood up. What an amazing thing. The power that God either resurrected him or revived him. And he stood up after he'd been stoned. Incredible power. But then what did he do? You know, probably if I were him, I would have found the first train out of the area. But it said he rose up and went back into the city. Would you say Paul had courage and inner fortitude? I mean, amazing. You know, they had just stoned him. He had just been resurrected and he got up and he went straight back. And it says, And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying, We must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. You know, it's easy just to read over this, and the words eventually become meaningless if, when we just read through the story quickly. But the incredible courage that Paul had, bold and fearless and powerful, but also an amazing inner peace to be able to do the things that he did, all motivated by the Holy Spirit. Brethren, when we begin to respond to the Holy Spirit in our life and we begin to change and grow and have the power to do things that we could not do before, and have strength and courage that we didn't have before to stand up and do the right thing. You know, it's not like just a jolt of caffeine, right? It's not like we just drank 10 cups of coffee. Um, uh, It leaves us jittery and nervous and out of control. It's not like just gritting our teeth and kind of gutting it out. If that was the way it was... You know, imagine driving your car and you've got the accelerator to the, to the metal all the way down. Not saying I do this, but, you know, all the way down to the floor. That's power. But now imagine your other foot is with the brakes all the way down to the floor as well. You know, if we're fighting against ourselves inside, if we don't really want to do what we're given the power to do, we're going to strip ourselves out inside, right? 
God not only gives us courage and power, but he gives us fortitude and peace to really want the things that he wants us to do. God's Spirit works that way. It empowers us, it strengthens us, it gives us energy, but it also settles us and grounds us and gives us a strong sense of peace. And what an amazing gift that is from God our Father. Are we experiencing the the power and the peace of God's Spirit in our life? Are we tasting it? To what degree are we tasting it? Would we like to have more of God's power and more of God's peace? Young people, is this accessible to you? Can you tap into the power and the peace of God's Spirit in your life? Is it only for the baptized? Do you have to wait till you're baptized to have God's help to have power and peace? I don't think so. Let's turn over to... 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 31. I think Mr. Meredith referred to this uh, here recently in a sermon, but uh, I'd like to go back to it. The story of David and Goliath, a favorite for us when we were kids, you know. David is such an incredible character. We read about how the armies of Israel and the Philistines were gathered together to fight. We know the story. Every day Goliath would go out to challenge the Israelites, and they were all scared out of their wits. If they were wearing metal uh, battle armor, you know, their knees were knocking, and it was making quite a percussion section, you know. They were scared out of their gourd. And understandable, this guy was tough. He was big. It was a bad situation for Israel. David came, as you know, he came to bring, uh, bring supplies for his brothers, his older brothers who were part of the army. I love this story because, you know, it, well, I'm the youngest. Okay, <clears throat> I won't say any more. But David, David heard the roar of the armies and saw the champion, and he heard the challenge, and then he volunteered to fight. 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse... 31, it says, Now when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You're not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him. You're but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep, and when a lion or bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it, and I struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by the beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Here's the point. David had un undeniable courage, you know, unshakable uh, courage. But you also sense an amazing sense of inner peace and faith and confidence, right? When everyone around him was losing their heads, <laughs> they were, they were re- really having a bad day, were terrified. Somehow, this 17-year-old was calm and level-headed and knew what to do. 
and was ready to do it. Where did he get that? Verse 37, Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. He got it from God. Not just courage, but inner peace and strength. You know, all those nights out alone with the sheep, he wasn't just protecting them from raccoons and squirrels and bunnies and, you know, These were bears and lions. That'd be frightening. Especially without the high-powered weapons we've got today. And yet, he had courage and he had inner fortitude. But think it through further. Did he just decide one day, let's say he he was 17 or so here, let's say when he was 16. You know, today I I, I think I'll just go out and kill a bear. Or kill a, kill a lion. And, you know, God will be with me. I, I've never known him in the past. I've never talked to him in the past. I've never gone through things with him in the past, but I know he'll be with me. You know it doesn't work that way, right? If he was able to have the faith and the courage and the inner strength to know that God would protect him to kill a bear and a lion, you know there were other things that happened before that, that led up to that. When he was 13, and when he was 11, and when he was 9, and when he was 7, that were preparing him little by little as he walked with God. Young people, we know you have worries and fears, things that concern you, different things at different ages. Uh, They're real. We know you are fighting your own battles. You know, at at, at an early age, maybe it's getting a sliver or skinning your knee. And that's a big deal. And that's frightening. And the world falls apart. Or maybe, you know, being afraid of the dark. That can be pretty scary. Or as you get older, it's, it's difficulties in relationships. You know, it's... What do my friends think about me? Do they like me? Or am I doing okay in school? Or am I getting along with my parents? Or am I becoming what God wants me to be? Am I okay? What's my identity? Who am I? There are a lot of of fears and concerns and doubts and worries when we're when we're young and, and young people we understand that as you get older will i will i get into college will i get a good job especially today the bad news about the economy what's going to happen will i will i get married will i find a husband or wife will god provide me with a family what about the tribulation <clears throat> you know what's going to happen to me will i be protected You know, in the church and in the work, we relate a lot of bad news. We really do. It's part of our message, warning the world. But to our our teens and our children, we're not trying to frighten you. We're not trying to scare you. It's part of the message. We, We have to do it. But don't misunderstand and, and don't assume that, that all the news is bad. 
Because even in bad times, even in hard times, and we're not going to mince words, the times coming are hard. But God has a plan for you if you really want his help. And he will help you through it, and he will help you now with power to overcome your problems and fears and doubts and peace to have a sense of inner inner calm. Let's go back to numbers. <clears throat> numbers. I want to show you teens and you children something that speaks to you, I think. Numbers chapter 13. Remember the story of the spies going into Israel and all that, that happened? The ten spies of Numbers chapter 13. Uh, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, send the spies into the land and they will find out what it's like. They'll come back and give a report. And uh, Numbers chapter 13 and verse 27. Then they told him and said, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. That was not a good thing. The descendants of Anak were big, big guys. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites in the mountains. The Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. But notice uh, this caused quite an uproar. So finally in verse 13, then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, you know, don't worry about these things. Let us go at up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. You begin to see a different attitude and a different spirit. And my point is, it, it, not just in courage, but confidence. There, there's a difference. Caleb and Joshua had confidence. They said, look, God is with us, and he'll help us. We can do it. But verse 31, but the men who had gone up with him said, no, 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 we're not able to go up against the people for they're stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. Now, probably a slight exaggeration there. You know, grasshoppers. But they were, they were scared. You know the story. Uh, Joshua and Caleb attempted to, to change the tide of, of the way the, 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 the event was going, but they could not. And uh, the people rebelled. And the people said, no, we won't go. What was God's solution? He forbid those ten men from going into the land. Numbers chapter 14 and verse 22. Because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have put me to the test now these ten times that have not heeded my voice, they certainly shall not see the land of which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him, and has followed me fully, I will bring him into the land where he went, and his descendants shall inherit it. A different spirit, a different attitude. We have, you have the opportunity to tap into that different spirit. 
Just because, young people, you're not baptized yet doesn't mean you can't access it and it can't help you. Now, power and peace. That wasn't the end of the story. Numbers 14, verse 28, Say to them, As I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you the carcasses of you, this is the whole congregation, who have complained against me shall fall in this wilderness, all of you who are numbered according to your entire number, from 20 years old and above, except for Caleb and Joshua, you shall by no means into the land which I swore I would make you dwell in there. But your little ones, whom you said would be victims, I will bring in, and they shall know the land which you have despised. Now, what was he saying? Think about the generation of those who were 19 years or younger. They were the ones who would go into the land. They saw all this happening, and you bet their eyes were really big, right? as these events were happening. And for 40 long years, they listened to their parents tell and retell the story. You think your parents talk a lot about the breakup of Worldwide? How about 40 years of this? And warning them... Don't do it like we did. Be different. Have courage and have confidence. And you know the story. Forty years later, it it ended quite differently. They crossed the Jordan. Jericho was supernaturally destroyed. And step by step, they mostly successfully uh, destroyed the armies of the Canaanites and took possession. But think about it. The city walls were just as thick 40 years later. The children of Anak were just as tall 40 years later. It was just as frightening. But it was those young people who learned as 10-year-olds or 15-year-olds or 18-year-olds or were born and then heard the story. It was they who tapped into God and access to him, and accessing his help that made all the difference. You can tap into the power and peace of God, young people. You just have to go after it. You don't have to wait till you're baptized. Sure, that's when it enters you and impregnates you in in a, a special way, but you still have access even before that, and he will help you. You know, our world is filled with people, including young people, who are totally stressed out, have anxiety disorders, struggling with depression. Mental health issues now are the leading cause of disability in young people, by far. 45% of disabilities among those 10 to 24, mental health issues. You know, we have the access. We have the, the, the solution and we have access to the source to, to fight any struggle and frustration and confusion. And our young people do as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse, verse 3. 
And this day speaks to us about this, the power and the peace of God's Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 3, Paul said, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. And the most difficult strongholds are those of the mind, aren't they? The fears and the doubts and the anxious thoughts. Verse 5, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So as we keep the, the, the Feast of Pentecost, this is the miracle that we think about that happened back in 31 A.D., and it's the miracle that happens in our life every day as we tap into God's Spirit, the courage and the fortitude. Let's talk about in the time remaining some ways that we can make sure that we are tapping into the power and the peace of God's Spirit. Number one, <clears throat> number one, make sure we are talking to our Father. Make sure we are talking to our Father. You know, next weekend is, is Father's Day. We gain a lot of encouragement from going to our, our Father for advice. Growing up, I always found our dad to be a, a great source of encouragement. Uh, whenever I was plagued by doubts and fears and worries, you never thought my questions were stupid. Um, you know, the, my worries were not worth his time. From a little kid sitting on his lap, until later on, when if I would have sat on him, I would have given him a hernia. But still talking to him. And gained a lot of confidence from that. I hope you had that relationship with your father. I, I know not everyone is blessed with that kind of relationship. But I hope you did. But even if you didn't, you know, an even greater relationship is possible with our Heavenly Father. We've heard about that. Uh, from Mr. Meredith uh, recently. But let's turn over to Luke chapter 11 and verse 11. We have to be talking to our Father. <clears throat> if we want the power and the peace in our life, and if we want it more, we want to have the courage to face our fears and the fortitude to be calm in the eye of the storm, we've got to be talking to our Father. Because he's the one that gives us that ability. Luke chapter 11, verse 11. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, would he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? Of course not. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? How much more does he want us to be able to fight our fears? and have a deep sense of inner peace and calm. That's the Father that we serve and that we love and that we came out from that created us because we are all His, his children. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. Philippians chapter 4 and verse, verse 6. Philippians chapter 
4 and verse 6, he says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. Sometimes it doesn't make sense. (laughs) If we look at the surroundings... And yet we can have peace. We'll guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. God wants us to gain the power and the peace that we get when we go to him, but we have to go to him. Jeremiah 29, verse 11, I'll just read this. For I know, he says, the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. So, brethren, as we are wanting the the spirit of power and of peace, are we spending time with our Father in prayer? Because that's the source. Number two, number two, after we go and talk to our Father, Are we actually listening to what he says? You know, when we're young, how well does it work if we go to our dad and we pour out our hearts to him and we tell him all our troubles and we talk and it all just gushes out, bubbles up. And then when we're done, he's about to open his mouth and start talking. We say, well, dad, got to go. You know, I got better things to do. I'm out of here. You know, After doing that a few times, would your dad have gotten frustrated? I think my dad would. No, as a father, we we, we would be thinking, okay, well, you've talked. Now, why don't you sit still for a little while and, and I'll talk. I'll give you some advice. I'll give you some things to think about. Are we doing that? You know, reading, as we heard, reading and and studying God's Word is our way of listening to our Father. That's the way He talks to us. The Proverbs are full of the the folly of not heeding a father's advice and the blessings for heeding the Word. Notice in Proverbs chapter 3. Let's turn over there. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse, verse 1. Are we listening to our Father? That's simply, of course, reading His Word. Are we listening? Proverbs 3 and verse 1, My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands. For length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lay not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. How do we we get that understanding from our Father? Not just by talking to him, but by then listening to his encouragement and listening to what he says about our issues that we're struggling with. And that's reading his word, isn't it? 
Are we listening to our Father? Joshua chapter 1 and verse verse 1. <clears throat> it's interesting. You know, after 40 years of the children of Israel wandering and knowing that the countdown had begun and the 40 years was going to run out and the, the one thing they were not going to do is make that same mistake that the previous generation made. And so remember, over and over again, they're telling Joshua, be strong and of good courage. Joshua, be strong. Joshua, don't be afraid. Joshua, be strong and of good courage. Over and over and over again, right? That one thing, they, they were not, if, if they made any other mistake, they were going to have confidence this time. But what gave Joshua that confidence? Joshua chapter 1 and verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun. Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all the people, to the land that I'm giving to them, the children of Israel. Verse 5, no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land that I swore to their fathers. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Well, where was that from? Where was that found? How would he find out about that law? By reading it over and over again. Do not turn from the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. Verse 8, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage, do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Do we ever feel out of sorts? Do we ever feel nervous or worried? Do we ever feel stressed out? You know, sometimes it may mean that we need to talk to our Father more. Sometimes it may mean we need to listen to Him more. And meditate on what he's saying. That gave Joshua strength and courage. <clears throat> if we have tasted the, the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, talks about in Hebrews, we've tasted it. We know it's good. But we have to keep going back to the well, don't we? We talk to our Father and we listen when he talks back to us. Another way of growing in the spirit of power and peace. Find out what quenches the spirit and deal with that. Find out what quenches the spirit and deal with that. You know, there's an exhortation that Paul gave us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 16. He says, do not quench the spirit. Well, how do you quench the spirit? What are things that can quench the Spirit? Well, you know, bitterness will. Uh, unrepented sin will. 
unforgiveness to others, will, envy, or greed, all of those will, will, will detract from and, and reverse any progress we make in gaining power and peace. We have to be wary of those things, that they don't choke out the word. <clears throat> but, you know, I, I, I wonder if one of the greatest dangers today of quenching the spirit is simply the stress that everybody's under and the distractions that we fill our lives with. Remember the parable of the sower? Let's turn there quickly. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 18. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 18. Are we going to our Father? And are we listening to His instruction? So we're being filled with power and filled with peace. And then we let weeds grow up in the garden that take away all the nutrients from the good plants. And that power and that peace diminishes and goes away. And we think, what happened to it? Matthew chapter 13 and verse Verse 18, therefore hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside, but he who had received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. But he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. Verse 22, now he who received the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word in the cares of this world. And the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. Brethren, I think that is a strong danger for all of us today because of our world and because of all the, the stuff that we've got going on that can quench the Spirit. Verse 23, But he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. One of the greatest dangers that we have is simply having the, the spirit choked out. Mr. Ames wrote an article recently in the Tomorrow's World magazine, uh, Strategies for Handling Stress. It's in the uh, most recent one. If you haven't read it, please please read it. Uh, he mentions in there about 28%, 28.8% of Americans, of Americans, adults, will have some form of anxiety disorder in their lifetime. In their lifetime, that's about one quarter. How stressed out are we as a people? And, you know, we're not immune to that in the church. He talks about different strategies, facing the future with faith, exercising regularly, claiming God's promises, forgiving one another, praying about problems, staying positive, setting the right goals. They're, they're all very helpful things to think about. His point is that stress is not in itself the problem. It's how we deal with it. And isn't it true many of the, the so-called ways to wind down that we have, that we do, actually add to our stress? There was an article that came out in the New York Times a few years ago uh, entitled Cracking Under Pressure. It's just the opposite for some. The article psychologists explained that some workers seem to handle a lot of stress very well. 
They don't run from it. They're just resilient and hardy, and they have qualities that enables them to thrive even under enormous pressure. They say this, people who are, in, who are high in hardiness enjoy ongoing changes and difficulties, says Dr. Salvatore R. Matty, a professor of psychology at the University of California, Irvine, and the author of a forthcoming book, Resilience at Work. They find themselves more involved in their work when it gets tougher and more complicated. They tend to think of stress as a normal part of life rather than as something that's unfair. What about us? Which side do we fall on? Going on, it says chronic stress has been linked. In other words, the stress that we don't deal with well, the, the, the stress that we don't handle well, has been linked to an array of illnesses, including heart disease and depression. But people who cope successfully, studies have found, punch in at work with normal levels of stress hormones like cortisol that climb during the day and drop sharply at night. Their co-workers who complain of being too stressed have consistently higher levels of hormones that rarely dip very far, trapping them in a constant state of anxiety. So the trick is that we have to deal with our stress on a daily basis, right? We have to unwind. We have to handle it. We have to let go. We have to offload it. And yet so many of our activities give us more stimulation, Give us more things to do. Give us more things to rattle around in our head. You know, uh, I remember for a while I was watching uh, like the the cop and robber dramas, you know, in the evening. And uh, they were exciting. And there were, you know, really a lot of situations that really get your heart pumping. And, uh, you know, after a while I realized, wow, this is not really letting me unwind very much. I'm just getting kind of all excited. You know, and then you go to pray, and then you, you close your eyes, and all these things are happening in your mind. The car's going this way, and it's going that way, and it's going over the bridge, and it's blowing up. And the, it keeps playing in your mind. And it's almost like you have to keep pushing that stuff out of your mind just so you can pray, and it takes so much effort to get it out. And if you don't deal with it there... You pray in the morning, guess what? It's still there. The cars are still going back and forth, you know, and they're blowing up and they're shooting at each other. After a while, it dawned on me, you know, this is not helping me unwind. I need to find another way to to de-stress. Constant stimulation. Do it, the point is, is it really good for us? There was a recent article I also ran across recently. It was entitled, Can I Have My Attention, Please? Give me my attention back. The, the writer said he, he realized he had 45 different windows open on his computer at once. And it was starting to, to overload. You know, he couldn't handle it in his brain. And he said, This is ridiculous. Brethren, think about your daily schedule. Think about what are the things you do to unwind. Do they really help you unwind? And it's not just techie gadgets. You know, those, those, those can, uh, can be uh, constant stimulation. Uh, but it's not just that. It's a lot of different forms of escapism. Um, even shopping can be stressful in the modern age. There was an article from The Economist recently 
call you choose. Confusion, indecision, panic, regret, anxiety. Choice seems to come at a price. How is it, muses Ms. Renata Selek, author of a new book, Choice, that in the developed world, this increase in choice, through which we supposedly customize our lives and make them perfect, leads not to more satisfaction, but rather to greater anxiety and greater feelings of inadequacy and guilt. A 2010 study by researchers at the University of Bristol found that 47% of respondents thought life was more confusing than it was 10 years ago, and 42% reported lying awake at night trying to resolve their problems. Are we offloading our stress at the end of the day? You know, if we're not... We're, we're, we're growing in power, we're growing in peace, and that stress just erodes it. And we wonder, why don't I have courage? Why am I all stressed out? Why don't I have peace? Think about your life. Think about your schedule. <clears throat> He's filling us with the spirit of power and peace if we want it. But we have to let it take root. We can't do it on a high stress if we're not dealing with stress well. The last key in, in really gaining the peace and power that God wants for us is grow in the love of God. Grow in the love of God. You know, love really is kind of the secret weapon that tends to add and even multiply the peace and power we can have through the Holy Spirit. Notice in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 6, Mr. Hernandez referred to this and read this uh, a couple weeks ago. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 6, he told Timothy, Therefore I remind you, stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying out of my hands. For God has not given us the spirit of fear. That's not what he wants for us. But of power and of love and of a sound mind. See, really, love goes together with power and peace. It's really the key that unlocks both of those. When we draw close to God, we ask him to empower us with his spirit, and we ask him to pour out his love on us so that we can love like he does. <clears throat> he says, The love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is, was given to us. Are we filled? Are we asking for the love of God? You know, our culture has totally ruined that word. They've made it into some sort of squishy, sentimental thing. You know, love. It's like jello. It just kind of wiggles. It's not, it doesn't stay put. It's fluid. It's nice. It's, it's you know, all uh, sentimentalism. Is that really what love is all about? First John chapter 4 and verse 16. First John chapter 4. And verse 16, when you start talking, when we start looking at what the love of God does, the very nature of God, the very way he thinks, 
so much so that the Scripture says God is love. What does that mean for us? 1 John chapter 4, verse 16, we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Love brings boldness. Love brings courage. Love brings confidence. The love of God, not the love of the world. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect fear, perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. If we really want the boldness and courage and confidence in God, we, we've got to be filled with his love and then letting it flow out to others, right? How much are we filled with the love of God? How much are we having that flow in us? <clears throat> Is that something that we need to work on? 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He's talking about the gifts of the Spirit. But the greatest gift of all, you know, all the miracles, all the prophetic speakings, all of the astounding things that can happen. And he finally boils it down and narrows it down. And Paul says, you know what? The greatest gift of the Holy Spirit, the greatest miracle of all, is that we could be filled with the very mind of God. And what is the mind of God? Outflowing love. He says, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and not have love, I'm nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, yet have love, it profits me nothing. Then he explains what love really is. It's not the wishy-washy sentiment. Verse 4, he says, Love suffers long. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil. What we're talking about is a deep sense of inner peace, right? A deep sense of confidence. A strong confidence. Love is incredibly strong. That's what he's saying. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Brethren, as we want the power that God has given to the church and God has given to us individually, and we want the peace of mind that can go with that power, one key is to be asking God to fill us with His love. 
an incredibly strong force, the strongest force in the universe. It's his mind. It's his power. Let's turn over to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. What a blessing. What an incredible opportunity and miracle that God has given us access to his mind, his love, his spirit, his power, and his peace. Romans chapter 8 and verse 5. It's interesting that in Romans chapter 7, Paul is explaining... You know, you read it sometime uh, from this context that he's talking about how how stressed out we get <laughs> when we're, we're struggling with the battles of the mind. In Romans 7, remember, he said, that which I don't want to do, I do, and that which I shouldn't do, I you know uh, uh, want to do, then I don't do. And, and he's warring in the mind. But then he says in verse 1, Therefore, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Through the Spirit of God, I can win those battles. Verse 5, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and Peace. Where do we get power from? Where do we get peace from? Verse 14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption or sonship by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. You know, what do children do when they're scared, when the thunder is rolling and the lightning is flashing? They run to dad and mom, right, to sit on their lap and say, I'm scared. Help me. And they're comforted. And his strength and courage comforts us as we have that relationship with him. Do we see him that way? Verse 26, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as yet as we ought, but the Spirit itself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Verse 28, For we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose as we submit to his way and this way of life and grow in the spirit, we understand this more and more, don't we? What it means to really have the peace and the power of God. Verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress 
or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Brethren, on this day of Pentecost, let's be grateful for the Spirit of God which He has made available to us. It's the power from on high that was poured out in 31 A.D. in a miraculous way on the disciples that enabled all these things to happen and the gospel to be spread and personal transformation to occur in their lives. It's power, but it's not just power. It's also peace. It's also inner fortitude. It's also calm in the storm and tranquility and strength and confidence. And when ignited by God's love, it becomes an incredible force that nothing can separate from us when we're close to God. What an incredible blessing. Let's thank God for this day and what it pictures and our having access to the incredible and amazing and powerful spirit of power and peace.